My excitement is the steady climb towards completing all of my project. That is the most Virgo shit I've ever heard. Welcome to Fascism Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Jackie. <laughs> and this is a podcast about aesthetic. The thesis is fashion matters. The reason it just does. Yeah, we have probably some unchecked ADHD that has fulfillment through weird, quirky shit and likes to just fall into deep holes and then we gab about it, essentially. Yeah, this isn't a what not to wear podcast we don't really care what you wear this isn't like a what's in and what's out kind of podcast we're just here to talk about what fashion means and we do also have opinions about what you should wear <laughs> yeah well, i mean we we live in seattle so we have a lot of opinions what not to wear in this but also this is a very diy podcast hope and i have full-time jobs we edit and do all the things on our own it's very conversational i mean just understand that we do not have the NPR budget, even though they don't have a good, great, probably an amazing budget. We don't even have that budget, you know? So Right, right. So if, if it's not for you, totally fine. But if you do like it, you should give us five stars because we're out here trying. All right. <sighs> it's been a while since we've recorded, like since before Christmas. Wow. Yeah. I feel like a different person. Yeah, I I feel like so much has happened. It really has. It really has. And there was a point at last year where I was like, is this it? Is this what life is like? Is this it's kind of boring? And then some stuff happened and I was like, oh, yeah, like the randomness of life and the chaos that it actually is. That's what keeps it interesting it for you? It does, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of know, like, anytime I have that thought, I feel like some weird shit just comes up, you know, like. You invite the chaos. Yeah, because like. It's just more fun that way. This is also why I have probably unstable relationships. I don't have any chaos in my life, I feel like, and I don't want any. <laughs> I my my excitement is the steady the steady climb towards like completing all of my projects. Like I don't even want to say goals because I'm not even like that is the most Virgo shit I've ever heard anyway. Every day we're just getting better. We're getting better and better every day. No, I do like that too, but I think it's just like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You, what you it like is. it with a dose of a little little tsunami. Yeah, here exactly. Yeah, yeah. I like the I like to push sometimes things. Like I ran out of gas the other day. I, I like to push it on the edge. You know, like I knew I was probably gonna run out of gas, but I was like. But whatever. also, you're kind of like you're dealing with stuff. Oh yeah, I'm also in poverty, but like won't be for a while. So that is true. But like also, I should have come up with another plan. I don't know. There's like right, things that I could right, done. Right. Um. But instead, I was like, nah, we're going to risk it all. Anyways, and that's what I used to do in high school because I also didn't have money back then, right? So I would just run out of gas all the time. Man, I've only done <laughs> it once. Oh, man, I would. it would be like a weekly thing. And then I would just drop my car off and come pick it up later whenever I had the money to put some gas in it. It was like a thing that happened. Anyways, that's for another story for another time. But anyways... I guess, what's trending with you, Hope? Um, trending with me is sowing the seeds or like watering the plants from the seeds that I sowed in December. I feel like, like, I don't know, man, there was so much going on internally with me in December, like just going home 
and seeing family like I got in a fight with my brother whatever I just took it really hard and I don't know I was doing a lot of reflecting on like family and like how being with family affects my romantic relationship and like have been processing a lot of stuff with like my mom and I and also there was like a period of time in December where like work was really crazy and but I also feel like I started doing things like whatever going to spin drinking less yada yada so I feel like I've just like come into this year with like a emotional weight off of my shoulders and also like with these like habits that I'd put in place so I really have just been like gliding into 2023 this is two weeks (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's called a beginning Jackie have you ever heard of getting a good start (laughs) but I'm curious what do you mean by like is it because you reflected that you feel like you started to sow the seeds for I feel like it, it was both doing emotional processing and also like starting habits like starting a new workout routine starting to drink less like getting more involved at dance and so I feel like it, this year instead of being like oh my resolution is I'm going to change these habits I'm like I've already started these habits that I'm happy with mm. so I can really just focus more on like bigger goals mm-hmm. and like aspirations that I want to work towards like the stuff we're doing mm-hmm. doing more art like I'm really trying to hold space for myself right now to like do art mm-hmm. and yesterday I literally only left the house to come get this book from you <laughs> while you were naked in bed finishing it I looked like I was dying dude it was like your <laughs> literally your dying wish was to finish this book <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I should post that photo to Instagram. I'm supporting because okay, I, okay. I felt like it was hilarious in my own way. Like, yeah. And then Rye also came and visited me and I was like, look at my friends coming to my deathbed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what's trending with you, Jackie? Well, like I said, chaos. Has chaos been one before? I don't know. You've definitely talked about chaos. Yeah. Well, okay, you guys. I may or may not. I, like, Hope's probably sick of hearing this because I said it like eight times at our friend's party, but also I just say it a lot. But I'm psychic. <laughs> I think I'm psychic. It's not a helpful psychic. It's like the Trixie Mattel. If you've been watching Trixie Mattel, it's a Trixie Mattel psychic where you can't, it's not monetizable. Just things hit you. And it's more about... I fully trust my intuition. So. You really do. It's why you meet people and then you're like, <laughs> I got this person figured out. And you're not always wrong either. <laughs> yeah, I'm not always wrong, but I should be better about making first judgments and believing them. But um, it's also just like, I trust my intuition to a point where I can tell like when something's off, like yeah. to fall- listen to it. I mean, I think that's a big part about being intuitive. Like, because I feel like I'm so not mystic that I miss all the mystic moments. But if you're in tune to it and if you trust yourself to be like, oh, something's weird then like you can you can harness it right right and there's something there's a difference between anxiety and intuition too that I think people don't honestly can't especially now can't really discern the difference because like if you're anxious you're just like I gotta do this thing and it's and you think it's your intuition but it's actually not um I mean whatever there is a difference it's like we're fulfilling prophecy what anyways um there were some chaotic things that happened this past three weeks that I both were very weird. Um, one, like I said in the beginning of my last podcast episode, my boss who hired me that I started this new job died. Mm-hmm. But he also told me he wasn't going to be there. And I don't know if that was like a mistake or like he thought he was going to be longer on vacation. But regardless, when I showed up to work, everybody was freaking out. But I was already confident he wasn't going to be there. That's why I made the joke that asking if you were a suspect because I was because <laughs> it's like you show up to work and be like, yeah. 
he was never going to be here. And everyone's <laughs> like, how does this bitch know? How does this bitch know? Yeah. I didn't say anything, but it was really funny because I, I did talk to my the guy that like the senior planner that I work with. And like once we found out he had died, which is like on my second day of work, um, I was like, yeah, I was getting conflicting in- uh, information because he told me he wasn't going to be here. And you guys said he was sick. So I was confused. Like, And he was like, well, we didn't know what to tell you guys to tell you. And I was just like, they hadn't known he was dead yet, but like. They didn't know what else to say about it. Like he, him not showing up was weird. Whoa, dude. Yeah. Then also I like fought off a criminal coming into Hope's house. <laughs> yeah, dude. She literally could not ask for a better dog sitter. Also, this is the side note. I We had a tarot card reading session for our friend's birthday and he does all these tarot card readings. He's like very into it. And... um. I was like, just so you know, I got the chaos card, a.k.a. the tower. And then I went to home or a.k.a. I went to Hope's house because Hope was I was house sitting slash dog sitting and I couldn't sleep. And then suddenly, like my intuition, a.k.a. whatever you want to call it, um, told me to get up at 4 a.m. Like just to move my body to to the living room window. And at that exact moment, I saw some guy crossing the lawn trying to go into the basement window to to the right. Like, he, he didn't see me. Because why would he – he wouldn't expect me to see me. All the lights are off. I'm naked. And, I mean, he's trying to open the window. He's was trying, he trying to open the window? Yeah. He was, like – he was trying Ooh, to see if it was, was, like – fiddling with it. Yeah. He was trying to see what he could do with it. And so I was, like, my immediate response was to knock on the window because I thought – that would be fucking weird, you know. Like you, right? You, I if that if I was him, I would be like, "There's a goddamn spell on this house." I don't know or something. Yeah. Well, also, it's like if you're at the window, I feel like you can pretty quickly like call someone to come over. Like they don't want to be in that situation yeah. anymore. But also, just like hearing a knock when you're at the, I don't know. It's jarring. Just, it's very jarring. Yeah, from a it's naked very, lady in the window. Yeah, but he didn't see me, so he just heard the knock. You know what I mean? Like, so he just probably was like, what witchness is, what What do they, what kind of protective spell is this? I don't know. That's what I assumed. He uh, he kind of just got Yeah, spooked. meanwhile, my dog is in bed, unwilling <laughs> to help with the situation whatsoever. <laughs> Not bothered by me waking her up. <laughs> yeah, I can totally imagine that like scowl she gives when she's like, "Why?" She was trying to go back to sleep. I'd be like, "No, you're in this together with me." Um, Seriously. Yeah. So that happened. We um, unfortunately we called the cops, and we the cops eventually did come over. I didn't like doing that, but the landlord was like, "Why don't you just do it?" Um, just to like make a scene, so that if the people are like watching, they know. And I was like, good point. I fucked the cops, though. Anyways, then when the cops came over, finally, my girl fucking starts barking. Lulu finally is all ACAB. She's like, ACAB. (laughs) (laughs) And then they step in her shit in the front lawn, which I had not picked up because I'm a trash human. Yeah, well, they were like, oh, it's covered in dog shit. And I was like, I will tell them. But also, like, fuck you. Like, is that your worst problem? Anyways, um literally not a crime yeah not a crime you can just but he just like really wanted to complain about dog shit. i guess people don't like stepping in dog shit but i'm just like if you're wearing boots i don't know I, it's I, like to you you're like whatever this is high this is a high stakes emergency and to them they're like we do this all the time we'd rather not step in dog poop while we do it they were the worst you know how like they i was like well could you guys go downstairs just to double check if there's somebody down there and they're like mm, well we can walk around i was like okay and then you know, landlord 
lady next door was like, no, I'll just go downstairs. If you hear me screaming, you know, to come in. I was like, is this what we pay for I me mean, to do? It, maybe it's better that way. I'm kind of glad they didn't come inside. I mean, yeah, I, not with their, sh- not with but their But it poop is a weird boots. response. Yeah, it's exactly. A weird response for sure. I'm like, well, it's like they're vampires. I thought if I invite them in, they're allowed in. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's I hadn't heard that phrase. But I that makes sense. <laughs> Anyways, so there's just some chaos. I also like almost hooked up with this guy, which you know doesn't happen a lot with me. Um, and it does, but like it was a fun whirlwind of things happening one after another, where I was just like having the time. I was also like going to parties. I don't know. So gay dancing every Friday. You've been out and about, man. You've you've had a lot more social energy lately. Yeah. And I, I, I'm i just, I think I'm excited about living in the city because the city is being more activated, yeah. you know? And I'm like, I got to get closer to the action. The possibilities are endless. The, like just the, just the potential of meeting somebody that could change my life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about a person named Lee Miller. And the way that we ended up deciding to do this episode, learning about Lee Miller, was that we we did an episode in the past about the connections between surrealist art and fashion. And I read this book about surrealist art and fashion, erotica, etc. And they talked about some some surrealist artists. And like I didn't know anything about surrealist art. Like I really just knew like Dolly, Moreau, whatever the ones you learn in school. And reading this book, it talked about like a lot of cool, basically women surrealists who didn't buy into like a lot of the weirdo bro-y surrealist gang Abdu- I guess. Abductification of women. There we go. Thank you. Right. A lot of surrealist art was about objectification of women like putting them in like frightening scenarios and it's like a lot of the female form being like mangled and stuff. Anyway, so in that book they talked about a photo Lee Miller did where she put a breast removed during a mastectomy on a plate. So that was like interestingly my first introduction to her work. So we decided to read the biography The Lives of Lee Miller, which is written by Anthony Penrose, who is Spoiler alert, her son. Um, and then I also read Lee Miller in Fashion by Becky E. Conakin, which gives some really cool, like, additional background on the fashion industry. And am I too high to do this? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely not. We're never too high to do this. Yeah. Um, but then, and so I read this book a few months ago, and, and Jackie just caught up and read the biography. And I just want to know, like, if you were going to tell someone why they should care about Lee Miller, what would you say? Um, I'd be like... Lee Miller is a very relatable character and that and a, a forgotten woman as they all are in history um, that probably suffered from ADHD but had the opportunity to really indulge her interest in the ways that we all want to. Yeah, that's a good description of her character. Um, in terms of her career, she gets her start as a model for Vogue. She ends up taking photos for Vogue and then Later in her career, she becomes a war correspondent. But she does so much more than that, too. She does so much more than that. And she's traveling. She's, like, the pinnacle of, like, a modern 1920s woman in, like, the avant-garde. She's part of the Surrealists. Yeah. Well, she's like, let's begin. Let's begin. (laughs) Starting with her early life. Okay. The author immediately sets it up that Lee is like her father. And this reminded me of Anna Wintour's biography. And I mean, we also listen to Celebrity Memoir Book Club. And they always talk about how memoirists wax poetic about their dads. And then they just completely gloss over the mom. Yeah. I mean, and but this isn't her writing it. That's what's so funny about it. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, and so like biographers do it too, where it's like, if it's like a career, if it's a book about a woman's career, they have to talk about how she was so much like her dad. Yeah, and again, this is her son, so he's talking about his granddad. So that's just weird and funny. But anyways, yeah, I think the mom gets one to two mentions in this whole book. Yeah, but anyway, her dad goes to Monterey, Mexico and gets a job in a steel mill, but then he gets typhoid, so he has to come back and he gets a job at this like tool company in New York and he meets this Canadian nurse named Florence McDonald, a.k.a. Lee's future mommy, and they have this like really long courtship. Um, He takes naked photos of her because he's into photography and I guess that's like a good way to get girls naked. And then... Like, they get married in 1904, and then Florence has this, like, sweet home Alabama moment where she's like, fuck, actually, there's this, like, guy at home that I was sort of into, so Lee's dad sends her home to, like, see if she wants to be with that guy, and then she arrives two weeks later being like, no, I'll I'll still have you be my husband. I just, like, like, from the beginning, these people are all just, like, I'm sure it's more emotional in the moment, but the way it's described, he's like, oh, you're in love with someone else? All right, go home. See if you want to just be married to him and I'll be here. That's healthy. I'm sure it didn't happen like that. I'm chill. Sh- maybe it did. But I, they I seem think this, so flippant. I don't understand who Theodore Miller is. Um, I don't know. We'll talk about it later. Right, right. Yeah. So something happens with Lee. Lee grows up in this household. She's having a great time. She has two brothers, I think. She, is she the middle child? She has two siblings. One, At least one of them is a boy. Well, anyway, something happens with Lee where I th- – uh, Hold on. Trigger warning. Um, I think she's sexually assaulted slash raped as a nine-year-old. She might even be seven. She, seven? She stays, whatever. We don't need to, like, trauma porn. But she stays with some family friends while her mom is sick. And the son is home from, like, being in the Navy. And he sexually assaults her. And she gets venereal disease. At, at a very young age. Yeah. Her mom has to, like, douche her with mercury dichloride. Because that's how they use. Yeah. They didn't have penicillin. Yeah. So sad. I just think about all the vaginal diseases I would have died of now. Like, what would happen if I got a UTI? I would just die. My kidney would fuck, right? I mean, I think there were some answers at some point because women didn't always die from you. But I'm also just very curious. Yeah, I mean, I recently found out that people were doing C-sections in Africa like hundreds of years ago. So I'm like, I feel like I, I'm I'm confused about medical <laughs> history. Um. Anyways. To forestall the inevitable emotional trauma, Florence and Theodore sought the help of a psychiatrist, which is pretty cool that they did that. Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah. His advice was to convince Lee that sex and love were disassociated. Sex was merely a physical act with no positive link to love. Um, Okay. Yeah. By trivializing sex, it was hoped to ward off any backlash of guilt. The efficiency of this treatment is impossible to judge because a few years later, another tragedy stuck at its core. Yeah, she's in love with this guy and then he falls out of a boat. Yeah, and, you know... Like a rowboat. (laughs) It was like a one... It's like they were one-on-one having a romantic date. Yeah, and he falls and then dies. It's like he has like a heart thing and they're like, we don't know if he jumped in as a joke or if it was from his heart. And I guess no one... I I just want to say, are we not going to mention that you were talking while you were cutting your hair? (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing... I've been cutting my bangs lately and I just like... (laughs) casually uh, yeah yeah and those are not the right scissors to do it with i was just like karate chopping my hair but yeah anyways basically your parents spoil her because they're like they're like damn your life is rough i mean and she plays into it so and also this might be why she was so kind of like sexually free later on 
But who knows? She ends up getting, you know, in trouble at school because no one really cares. Slash, like. She's just like a rebel. She just isn't interested. Yeah. yeah. And they go. she goes to school, to school, to school. And then eventually one of the old teachers from her previous school was like, let's just take her to Paris. Which I'm like, how is that a solution? Lee's like fully in on it. Like she kind of convinces her parents to. And. They say like, oh, she runs circles around this girl, this lady, once they get to France. She's just like this, her tutor or whatever, like cannot contain her. Well, yeah, she's 19 at this time, I think, right? 18? She is around 18, yeah. I mean, horny, excited about life. Right, and like she's grown up, she's like gone to the opera, like her parents are into the arts, you know, like she already has an appreciation for this stuff. So she's, like, stoked. I think there's a quote on page 14 about, like, surrealism during this time. Okay. She arrived in Paris at the heyday of the survivors of the lost generation, the people who F. Scott Fitzgerald described as a generation grown up to find all gods dead, all wars fought, all faiths in man shaken. Easy living was a virtue, pleasure-seeking an obsession. So I'd never heard anything about the lost generation or like how that gave way to surrealism and art at this time, but Paris is like a hotbed of artistic revolution, the nihilistic Dada movement, which was born of revulsion against World War I, gave way to surrealism. We've talked about André Breton, the psychic automatism that was part of their like manifesto where you just kind of like let things flow out of you freely. And for men, that involves a lot of like making paintings based on the brutal things you want to do to women. And then the photography scene was dominated by Man Ray, who was an American photographer. What a name. Man Ray. Uh, two, two names, Man and then last name Ray. So his first name was Man. Man. What up, Man? Yeah. But also... F. Scott Gerald was part of that crew. I think Hemingway was part of that crew. I think even Virginia Woolf was part of that crew. There was like all these writers that were like spending time in Paris and during this time. And that stupid Woody Allen movie with Owen Wilson. Oh, Midnight in Paris? Yeah, talks about that. Did you like that? You didn't like Midnight in Paris? I don't like Woody Allen. He hasn't made a good film since Annie Hill. I haven't seen Midnight in Paris for like since like 10 years ago. So I, I don't remember it, but I'm curious because it captures this moment in time. Uh, you sh- watch it, but it's the women are always two-dimensional and it's for the male like the women exist for the male to figure out their life kind it's of It's like, like another story that reinforces like men were the ones doing art. There yeah. weren't there weren't female artists around or we would definitely talk about well, them. Well, one was like sexually free and he kept on going back to the 20s and like hanging out with her and she was like letting him explore his sexuality and like she's just like arts. a vehicle for his character development. Yeah, and his fiance was a obvious bitch and why was he with her and like it was just giving no nuance to these characters and yeah boo that's just classic woody allen except for annie hall annie hall's like the only good one i'm telling you anyways so lee does not want to go back to new york so her dad comes to paris to get her because he like what else do you do you can't i guess you have to get on a boat and like literally travel across the ocean to go get your daughter and yeah. bring her home. Yeah, you have to physically remove her. She's not going to disappear. And she gets so back in New York, she enrolls in the Art Students League, and there she's learning theatrical design and lighting. She also has her own apartment. Her dad's like, okay, here you can have your own. Apartment. Well, things were probably more affordable back then. True, but also I think her dad was like an engineer, so he wasn't poor. There was he wasn't poor, but they weren't like they're probably the upper 1%. middle class where they could afford for a studio apartment in New York City and her travels and, like, support her. And um, 
But yeah, she was doing that. And then I think in general, education was just more expensive. So it's like either way you're going to pay for your kids to be in school. Was there public education then? Oh, yeah. Um, it was segregated, but yeah, it was public education. I think it was it was still probably even segregated by gender too at that point. But it wasn't. I don't think it was mandatory. Right, right. And then there was. I don't know all the history. I just know that some people were like, I had to quit at sixth grade to help on the farm, you know. But that wouldn't fly now. Like, um, anyways, Lee is having the time of her life in New York City now because she's just like experiencing all this fun and you know living it up. She's kind of, though, like, not finding purpose, and she's like, what am I even doing? And she's just always in the clouds. And one day, crossing the street in New York, she carelessly carelessly stepped into the path of an oncoming car, and this person just yanks her back into the sidewalk, and Lee's like... Oh, my God. That was so fucking scary. She starts yelling in French like it's the fucking parent trap. I'm like, <laughs> how does – who told this story? Because I just like – I'm like, okay. The memory is so – this is this is an editorial it's ad. Very much exaggerated. Yeah, this is some word of mouth ass shit. Yeah. And her rescuer was the self new self-made king of a magazine publishing company, and his name was Condé Nast. So a real meet cute slash she basically gets discovered. I'm like, literally, ever since the day that Jackie proclaimed that she doesn't believe that people just get discovered and become models, like every book we've read. <laughs> that's what I, that's what, and that's my argument. I think it's like a story. Right, right, right. That it's all, it's a trope. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's how this is described. That Condé Nast is like impressed that she knows French and also that she's gorgeous. She's like really pretty. The book by her son really drives home this point that she's pretty in the way that was trendy at the time. Because 20s was a different aesthetic. It was. It was very boyish. Very boyish. And she kind of lives out that boyish look the rest of her life. Yeah. And she starts modeling for Vogue. And then by March 1927, she's on the cover. It's like a kind of an illustration. It's very 1920s. Like if you've seen the movie Thoroughly Modern Millie, it's just like quintessentially 1920s. She models for them for a while, and at some point they put her in a Kotex ad, and it's, like, scandalous. Like, Yeah, because it's talking about periods, right? Right. Her dad tries to, like, sue, and they're like, sorry, like, we were allowed to do that. She thinks it's kind of funny that there's all this controversy. And then she has two boyfriends, and they flip a coin to see who gets to drop her off at some point. Yeah, they had to flip a coin, and one got to go send her off because she was going back to Europe. And the other one didn't, and that one was the pilot. And I to kind of like watch, see her go, go off. Like he flew his plane apparently like around wherever yeah. the drop off. He was. was just like doing doing air donuts while she was like setting sail. And then he went to go pick up a student, and he didn't really stop, is what it said. And like I guess you just oh. jump in the fucking plane. <laughs> that was oh, how you did it. He had like a flight student. Yeah, and they like get in the back. Um, and the person jumped in, but then they both ended up crashing. And she was just on a boat and didn't know that her boyfriend, one of her boyfriends died. And probably because he saw her, essentially. Well. That's what they suggest. Interesting. But um, also, something we should mention is that during this time, you know, her dad's really into photography. He likes 3D images. There's like a technique that like makes Im- images look more 3D and like what's, good for 3d photos the answer according to her dad is bridges and naked bodies yeah he's obsessed with taking pictures of naked bodies and he does take naked photos with lee which i have a problem with 
the book doesn't yeah. reflect on whether that could have been probably because it's his grandson and he's probably like i don't really want to think much more into this yeah i mean like that's what i but it does feel like the book is kind of gaslighting you to be like it's normal and you're just like it's not fucking normal and maybe or it's just kind of like it's very factual where it's like i mean obviously there's editorializing but it's like it's not like this isn't like a jane mulva like vivian westwood biography like there is definitely much more of an attempt at impartiality i would disagree but yeah it's you think I, that they're actively trying to convince you yeah. that it's okay but we both came away from it being i don't know I, don't, I just can't see how anyone would read that and not be like well he doesn't spend much time on it and that's why i'm like i don't know i think it's i think he's just like yeah and he took a na- naked photo of her okay were the naked photos good yeah they were And we get to see some, which is weird again. I know, I know. And then they say that like, she's always really calm in the photos, except you can see that she's uncomfortable when they're also of her friends, like when her friends are in the photos. And they talk about one point going on vacation with the family and the dad's like begging Lee's friend to let him take nude photos of her. Like, this is an awkward family vacation. Yeah, exactly. There's, There's several moments where they're like, I'm like, what is going on here? Also, though, I feel like this could be him exposing his grandpa without causing family drama. Like, he's like, this is just what happened. His grandpa's long dead, though. Yeah, but it could still cause family drama to, like, I guess talk shit about your grandpa in a book. I guess so, sure. But anyway. I'm like, who's going to get him in trouble? I have been thinking, though, it's always good to read multiple biographies. Like, now that I've read two on her, it's like... (laughs) Yeah, There's there's a couple people that I know that, like one's like daughter wrote their biography and then another biographer wrote it and both were totally different counts oh i'm sure who is that one person we talked about for the androgyny episode that's who i was thinking oh whose daughter wrote the book i can't remember her name right now she's german with an m anyway we move on so she's going back to europe and she's going with her friend tanya um and she has funding actually from a designer to go on this trip and she's uh they're paying her to do detailed drawings of buckles bows lace and other costume adornments in renaissance paintings like fucking sick gig dude like you're just gonna go draw buckles but she does not really into the, drawing them she ends up just taking a lot of photos and it's actually really technically challenging given like the equipment that she has with her and the lighting and such but she has like a lot of knowledge about photography and like keep in mind this is at a time when like you're developing your own photos like photography is like a it's like I think one of the most exciting times to be a photographer even though photography wasn't yet super respected as a art like in terms of surrealist I guess maybe I should say specifically surrealist art people weren't as into photography as they were the sculptures and the paintings yeah surrealism art uh photography never like picked up as much as like the painting part of it yeah collaging of it yeah the sculptures of it but i don't know she starts to get really involved in the photography aspect because she was introduced to man ray well she she specifically learns about him and goes to his studio to find him and she hears he's about he's like oh they're like oh sorry man ray's on a trip but then she runs into him in a cafe and she's like hi i'm your new pupil and he's like i'm not taking on pupils and she's like nah you're you're gonna again i don't know how much i actually believe this story. for sure that's yeah yeah. But then the way they tell it is that he's like, okay, fine. Hop in, squirt. And she comes along with him on this trip and they become lovers and live together for three years. 
And so she's like his muse. Yeah, slash like she's also apprenticing under him and learning all this stuff about photography. And, uh, you know, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony, is very clear that if it had been a moment later, if she hadn't seen him at the cafe, that her whole life could have been completely different. But I think that's also kind of sad because during that time period, you couldn't just be a woman and be an apprentice. You had to be like hooking up with the person that you're – yeah, I mean – she doesn't really even like him. I think she never really – she just wanted to be a good photographer and she knew the price. From what I was gathering, the price was to to sleep with Man Ray. I think they had like – they had a dynamic. It was really passionate and at the time – so like when they meet, he already has a lover, a cabaret artist named Kiki de Montparnasse and there's like some drama but eventually she accepts it because it's the Roaring Twenties and they're all artists and there's this like tenet of free love among the surrealists and it's like sexist right like usually it's the men doing this but lee is unique in that she's like sorry i'm actually gonna fuck whoever i want also and man ray gets like i don't think that was unique i think there was a lot of women doing that fair there's a lot yeah because like you read about all the other surrealist poets but i feel like it's not it's not that i'm it's not that it's uncommon i guess but that it was sexist and that like it was it was still probably taboo for women to do it or like they don't have sexual health resources so it's like for sure. It's like tough for them. I wonder what they used for birth control because she like didn't get pregnant. Not that we hear of. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. She doesn't really journal, right? Like it's more letters between yeah, people. Yeah. Letters. That's what I, I noticed. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think they even talk about. Like, you don't, some of the letters you don't know who are written to, but she might be just journaling because that's how she's used to writing. Um, but one thing about Man Ray, he does this thing called the solarization, and I think it's just kind of an interesting tidbit about his technique and why he's kind of interesting. And and they kind of discover it together. Yeah. Apparently, something crawled across uh, Lee's foot in the in the dark room, and then she like screams, so they turn on the light. And after that, it was like a mouse. But then they realized the film was totally exposed, and they're in the, in the development tanks ready to be taken out and Man Ray grabbed them and put them in the hypo which I have no idea what that means and looked at them and the unexposed parts of the negative which had been the black background had been exposed by the sharp light that had been turned on and they had developed and came right up to the edge of this white nude body so it's just like illuminating the outline of the person and that's what solarization was was yeah it's basically like they discover photoshop but IRL and it's like they're just like, wow, man, check out this effect. Well, everything cool and interesting was an accident. I think penicillin was an accident. Right, <laughs> right. Like yeah. everything was an accident. Yeah. Well, and he comes up with a type of photo called a rayograph, which like when I, I've seen rayographs at museums, but I assumed it was like ray right. of light. But is it like literally a like question. a name, rayograph? So yeah, her and Man Ray are developing like photography techniques. And during this time, she's also traveling to Paris. I don't actually know where she's supposed to be living at the moment, but she's traveling to Paris to model for Vogue. And she specifically is modeling for this photographer named George Hoynigenhoyn, God damn it, who is a master of studio lighting. So she's learning a lot from this guy. And Horst, P. Horst, not his given name, obviously, is this guy's assistant. And he is a surrealist photographer. I've talked about him on TikTok. He took like a photo of feet that I'm now wondering if were Lee Miller's, but it's just like horny guy surrealist photos of the time. And at one point he takes her photo and does this like long drawn out process. And when he shows her the resulting 
image she kind of like laughs and was like oh wow nice that's a hoot and he was super offended so he vows never to photograph her again and but it's also during this time that she takes the breastplate photo and i've heard this story told different ways but the way it's told in this book is that she's for some reason watching a mastectomy happen and then asks the surgeon if she can bring the tissue home with her so she like brings it on the subway and like in a napkin and then brings it into the studio and they get mad at her like the like photographer this is a vogue photographer and they get mad at her and she's like oh sorry click 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 snaps a few photos and that's like how that photo happened she never even published it so like the fact that this is a work of art of hers that people talk about like this was an unpublished photo that was like snapped like really quickly well i gotta say with the boob thing it's and you can't do that now I mean, obviously, but definitely like, they don't do like doggy bags for like surgery. I have tried. I tr- like when I got my teeth removed, I begged for my teeth. Really? They would not give it back. Are to you me. serious? Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? What kind of what is what is this? Is this the freedom? I, is, I'm sorry. Is this the USA? Like I can't have my own fucking teeth. Like, yeah, dude. I was. Yeah. And I was just like annoyed. But and then I did some research, but you can't like apparently keep like if some, if they amputate your leg, you can't have it. I think that should be illegal. I think yeah, you, dude, you, it's your fucking body parts. Yeah, dude, but they I don't know. You know our healthcare system. Our, the, this is the root of our healthcare system <laughs> issue, right there. The day they stopped letting us bring home our chompers, uh-huh. it's the day everything went downhill. Also, Lee's dad comes to visit her and Man Ray. She's just like, "Hi, dad. This is my boyfriend, this artist." And her dad's like, "Chill. Him and Man Ray get along like creepily well." Yeah, because they're very similar. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Also, he's like, hey, I'm here to visit. Perfect time for nudes. And like is taking nude photos of her while he's there. Just weird, man. I just feel like and all the yeah, the photos that you see like with her and him and them like her dad and him or her dad like uh, Theodore and, and Lee. She's like hanging on him and like kind of in these postures of like obsession i don't know like very adoring and weird to me um anyways it kind of reminds me of like that donald trump image with his ivanka trump. oh gross yeah you know what that that one picture where- yeah yeah she's like on his lap yeah, right Ugh. yeah and also at this point she's met this egyptian named aziz he's 20 years older than her they fall madly in love and like aziza d- divorces his wife and leah's like lol no uh, not gonna marry you. So she goes back to New York and she, it's the Wall Street crash had happened after 1929, right? So everybody's losing their mind. And it's not a great time to open up any kind of business at this point. But you know what? Lee said, fuck it. I'm gonna do it. She's gonna open up photography business, even the worst idea that you could possibly do. But she is a rebel and also uh, has a couple people, aka rich, wealthy men, supporting her. Well, she gets investors. Yeah, but how do you get these investors? Is what I I want. They don't talk about the business part. They of don't talk it. about the business part. And I think when I first read it, it I was like, oh, just like some other men supporting Lee. But it's like he calls them angels, like angel investors. Yeah, he provided two angels because I feel like at this point she has like somewhat of a name for herself in photography. So they they're like, well, I would like to know the details. This is what they need to write about. They're like, oh, best no one cares. It's like no, because we're all interested because it doesn't make sense. Like yeah, and that's why I feel like reading the additional biographies is helpful. Like. The one Lee Miller in fashion didn't go into more detail about this, but it did go into a lot more detail about her work. Yeah. And so I, yeah, appreciated that. 
And so, yeah, she's in New York and she's set up this studio and it's a rough time because of the depression, but something that people still are doing or at least enough to keep her business afloat is portraits. And so she has these portrait clients. She spends all day with them. She has like her house person make them lunch. Like she's got like a secretary. AKA she could afford that. And she hired her brother. But it was because like these two men were heirs of like wells fargo or something like that like so she could do these things and yeah i mean like like a lot of businesses it's through capital investment i think they were just giving her money though no they invest their investors there wasn't a point where he was like buying the one of the guys was buying the photographs yeah because they probably like i i want to be careful of assuming that everything she gets is because she's like a beautiful woman I mean, yeah, but the way they also write about it is like the pho- the photographs never sold at all well. This is really literally what it's saying. At that time and for decades to come, despite Julian Levy's commitment to collecting and his bold pioneering exhibitions, surrealist painting and sculptures were becoming conspicuous and successful, but surrealist photography never received its just recognition. Well, that's talking about surrealist pho- photography, and it, and it's explaining why she did commercial work and why a lot of surrealist artists did commercial work. So she's doing work for Vogue. She's taking like stills of like perfume. There's like a scene where her and Eric are working all day on this project where they're using like fresh gardenias and they have to keep spritzing them. And it's this long and arduous process. And then she's also doing portraits. So it's like, like other surrealist photographers, she was doing other gigs to pay to like make money. Yeah. To pay for, I guess, her employees, a.k.a. her brother and the person. Yeah. Um, But she was also really lazy and wouldn't do anything that didn't really interest her. And one of the things that Lee could be intolerably lazy when she wanted, but when the chips were down, she just would not quit. So she needed a little bit of pressure. She needed a deadline. Mm -hmm. And she needed, like, the fear of God in her to actually get anything done. But also she had to be kind of somewhat interested in the work that she was doing. Right. Did you look up her astrological sign? Oh, no. What Did we say what day she was born? Lee Miller was born April 23rd, 1907. Mm, can I guess what that is? Something after, what happens after Pisces? She's a Taurus. Oh, makes sense. I know. I literally, that's at the point when I read that in the book, that's when I looked it up because I was like stubborn and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but like, also like, yeah, like, well, like people say about Tauruses, work hard, rest hard, where it's like, I wouldn't even say that much, but yeah, I would I would say they they love the the lap of luxury, and I think they I mean like all my friends that are Tauruses are talented people. It's not like they aren't um, capable, but they're never going to work themselves to the bone. That is just never that mm-hmm. is not in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not like a hundred percent Lee. Like she does work, but it's literally only when she's excited about the project. Like she does do some commercial work that like she's not super excited about but as we'll kind of describe like she finds a way to make a lot of it fun and she, unfortunately she has to rely a lot on men i think she had to find financial security and the men that she married or dated 
into the capacity. And that was what was with Aziz. Aziz was like super rich. And they also went to Niagara Fall for their honeymoon, which I'm like, that's not a great honeymoon place. But yeah, basically Aziz comes back to the US. He spends the day with her and her parents. And in the book, they're like, this is normal. Lee was always bringing around dudes to spend the day with her family. So her family didn't think anything of it. But then afterwards, she's like, yo, mom, did you like Aziz? And her mom was like, yeah, sure. He seems fine. She's like, cool. I married him this morning. And so she shuts down the photography studio. Poor Eric is out of a job. That's her brother. Her brother. And she moves to Egypt. Yeah, very rude. A lot of people are out of jobs in, in, a, in a climate that is super bad economically. And yeah, she's in Egypt for a while. And honestly, it sounds like a hella bummer. I don't know. Lee's getting a little restless down there, but she's having a good time. She's taking pictures and like these things called like desert trips where she's like pushing herself to the limit. I didn't really understand what that was about. It's like she would find people to travel with and they'd go on like sometimes days or week long excursions. Sometimes like things happen like, you know, you're traveling in a essentially a foreign country. Like the people she's hanging out with are not Egyptian that I'm getting. I think there's some guys. There probably are. I mean, her husband and literally this is also is something they glossed over in the book. She marries an Egyptian man and literally when they go well, to he was get, black. He was black. And literally when they go to the courthouse, the courthouse people are like, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. And she's like, goes off on them. It's like uh, an interracial marriage. Yeah. Which is like barely legal. Like when was that even made legal? Well, I don't know. Is this in the US, I guess? Didn't they get married in the US? I think it depends. I mean, like they also got he wasn't di- wearing he she wasn't marrying a black American man. And I don't know if that's a significant thing. Right. They, and it's funny because he just meets her parents and then they go back to Egypt and there's this letter from Aziz to Lee's parents being like, hello, my dearest. I'm too shy to call you mom and dad because it's like, obvs, this is awkward. But then he's like sending them these long letters being like, we went on a trip. Lee was rather lazy and only took two sea baths. And, like, she wants to buy a horse, so I'm on the lookout for a lamb. Like, it reminds me of the time I really wanted an iPad for Christmas, an iPod for Christmas, and my parents got me, like, an off-brand MP3 player, and I was just like, I know this is a really spoiled brat thing No, to say. dude. But it was, no. like, it was not the same, and I was so bummed. Like, you're about to get Leah lamb. She wants to ride a horse, dude. You, can you not ride a lamb? Is that not a thing? Obviously not. He also was like apologizing to Lee's parents. Like, so sorry that Eric is out of of a job. Does he want to come here and work at a cement place? And he does. So he does. Him and his wife, Eric is married at this point to Mafi. Really cute name. Yeah, I like it too. Mafia, I thought was. Or Mafi. Okay. And so him and Mafi get on a ship. They have a car that they're bringing for Aziz that he wanted. And it's loaded up with weapons that they are smuggling to Egypt for him. And then they show up and Eric starts working at the cement place. Yeah. And I think this is where Lee starts to like really indulge in her, her whims um, because she's allowed to because um, she is Aziz is like Aziz is like fully supportive of her in a way that you're like, why can't I find somebody like this? What's the problem? Dude, he's like, OK, darling, like maybe it's time to come home now and he'll like send for her. But like. But he's like, no pressure. Love you. Right. Totally. He's here's a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. He's super, super nice. And she gets bored and he goes and she goes to Paris and he's like, okay, you know? Yeah. He's like, you need this. It's good for you. But it's also just crazy because she, I don't know. She is like doing whatever the fuck she wants. And 
like the laziness aspect. She's really loud. She's really getting into that lounge. It's a dangerous, slippy slope, you know? But it's, she doesn't like seem to really lounge around. She's like out partying a lot and drinking a lot. I don't know if she is in Egypt, but in Paris she is. In Egypt, I remember them going on an excursion oh. and like they only bring like liquor instead oh, of yeah, water. Yeah. And it was like party, like he, like Eric, her brother couldn't keep up with all the partying. Right. Um, yeah. Or nor they were they really interested, which is just like very funny and relatable. But yeah, there was a scene where they needed water, but all they had was like martinis, uh-huh. a thing of martini and everybody laughed. But then they started to be like, oh, it's been hours since we've gotten help and really need water and we're dehydrated in the desert. See, that's the thing that I wouldn't laugh about. The moment that this mother, Lee, would have been like oh we have martinis i would have been like we're fox this is not funny but like i read this book several months before you did and like felt this deep connection to lee and was very happy when you started reading it and you were like i feel a kinship to her and it's like i feel like there's part of us that like want to be her i mean we've said like oh she's like she's like how to live a perfect life if you're rich like if you're rich a lot of people had the resources that she had it's like obviously being wealthy enabled her to do this but at the same time, a lot of wealthy people end up at like Prince Harry or something. Right, right. Weren't thirsty for knowledge and adventure and art. And she was very gregarious and like made friends wherever yeah. she went. Yeah, I agree. I, and I do think we have to acknowledge the the servants that were providing her lifestyle. Because something that I think we look at artists, especially women artists, and you're like, wow, they got the freedom to be an artist. There is a support system behind that no matter what. Like Emily Dickinson is my biggest one because she, the reason she was able to write so prolifically, especially during the Civil War, was because she had a maid well, yeah, doing and I mean, all the stuff. Well, and I feel like men de- by default have maids. Maids being their wives, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like I feel like like at one point we had talked about like, oh, did, did Antony like gloss over the fact that Lee's privilege allowed her to do this and I feel like to some degree for like people like him who are a little older and maybe like part of the art world it's like duh like everyone it's like they even point out at one point that Picasso has to work for a living so while they're all on vacation together he's like making paintings but the rest of them it's like it's really normal in the art world for to be like yeah I can do this because I'm rich. We're all rich. Yeah. And we have support like a whole team behind us like you can't be an artist and I mean, you can, but like, it's really hard to be an artist and then have to cook food and do the laundry. It's like, you need the full capacity. And men pick that up. They knew that. So that's why we have sexism. Cause like, they literally were like, oh, I want to do whatever the fuck I want with the full support. And they're like, I'll make women feel bad about themselves to the point where they feel like they have to rely on us. And then we'll get married and they'll like, we'll tell them we'll reinforce their role being at home. And like, and they figured, they really figured it out. And um, anyway, so I don't want to take away from women figuring it out but also you know i just also want to recognize that there are people it's not like just people are can are i think we don't understand and i think we also get caught up in our own hand like people like you and me where we have a full-time job and don't have servants and we're like where do they find the time or like they're better than me for being able to dedicate this stuff it's like no they had the all the resources and the people behind that and they were paying people to to do the things that we have to do right um anyways it's just good to remember totally yeah and so it's like i feel like you look at lee i don't know i think like partly that she was a little tragic like that she had some trauma 
in her life and that she had like a sad streak and that she drank but then she's also like like the life of the party it's like it's weirdly relatable i don't know maybe it's like a femme fatale kind of vibe where it's like i mean i just like meet a woman that isn't traumatized and sad i don't know like yeah but it's like traumatized and sad but in a fun sexy way where she's like out partying with artists and is like hot i mean i feel like that's like the way to do it right right but so is that a trope is that a femme fatale trope of like kind of like maybe i mean like a lot of people's you know there is a tumblr persona it's just being like i'm tragic and sad right sad girl aesthetic like yeah she probably had a little bit of that i feel like we're entering a bit of that era like i feel like the turn from from instagram to tiktok a turn from being like look how polished and pretty my life is to being like back to this tumblr-esque like Let's share my mental illness. Right, right. Yeah, which I'm, I rather, I much rather have that. But there's also like, I don't know, I don't, people are being like, it's problematic because, you know, they're not doing anything to solve the depression. It gets like ever, and then there's like group sadness. Anyways, it doesn't, I don't, not, whatever. I don't really care. Um, anyways, she is back in Paris having the time of her life. Um, she's living it up. Everybody's excited to see her again. As soon as she gets there, literally, she gets off the boat, phones a friend, and her friend's like, there's a party tonight, and then Lee shows up to this gala. I just feel like I've been there. It's, but not in Paris, but like in Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But all of this stuff, it's all more impressive when you're constantly like, there were not cell phones or even... For sure. Even they had the phone. Like, where did she call from? Was it a payphone? That's the thing. She was remembering these numbers. What, she's got a little book? Yeah, she probably did have a little book. You want the details, though. I know. Lee stayed in Paris and met this Roland. Oh, she had already kind of met Roland Penrose. She meets him the night she gets there. She phones a friend or maybe... Maybe she had seen him in passing or something, but they meet that night and he writes about it. Yeah, he, like, instantly... It's love at first sight. Yeah, but he's, like described as kind of like in rags and like he'd been painting he looks all a mess so aka hot yeah exactly she's like pete davidson what (laughs) what is this guy with big dick energy yeah oh my god Theodore, (laughs) roland Roland, sorry but i mean yeah, so eventually Roland has to leave and, and – okay, Max Ernest and him are big friends. If anybody knows who Max Ernest is, he is a, a surrealist painter. I think he ha- had a deep relationship with Picasso and they like – I have to do more research. I think it's Ernest and Picasso that had the kind of like Cubanism relationship and were uh, pivotal to each other's careers. But I could be wrong on that. But anyways, Max Ernest, regardless, is a surrealist that is part of Picasso's crew in some capacity. Um and also, side note, this is the era of film coming out, too. Mm. And something about Picasso and the whole Surrealist crew was during the era of painting, this era of painting, they were going to see a lot of movies. So they started to not use much as much color at this time because it, they wanted to kind of look like the movie yeah it was a reflection of the art that they were seeing so there was a lot of like you know grace <laughs> in Picasso and Max Ernest's life at this period of course that stops uh, eventually and there's a lot of color but right. he Picasso and the whole surrealist gang were very into films that's never mentioned in here but they had like a f- nerdy film crew that were like would hang out and go see films together and talk about films hmm. yeah she travels around with Roland for a while and 
they're also traveling with Man Ray and Man Ray's new girlfriend. Everyone's friends. They're yeah, chilling. everybody's hanging out. Everybody's, chill. Yeah, chill. I'm like, how does this work? Aziz writes, he's like, amuse yourself, darling, but not too much. We have to keep, we have to keep remembering that Aziz is there because he's there for a while, even though he's not there. Yeah, like Aziz and her are married in like, there's years where they, she just doesn't even mention Aziz, I feel like. At, yeah, at least the biographer doesn't. And okay, Picasso paints her portrait and Lee brings it back to Egypt. You know, you know Picasso. He's not like, he doesn't do like realistic portraits. It's like her tits are here, her eyes are here, whatever. So she brings the portrait back to, to Egypt and they have this party welcoming her back. She puts the portrait in the foyer and she has Eric's wife, Mephi, stationed there to listen to people talking about the portrait she's like oh man people are gonna talk shit about this portrait i'm gonna put you here you you tell me everything they say and so sure enough maybe like yeah people do not think this looks like you they don't get it they don't think it's a cool painting and so she's like okay can you do better and in a very narcissistic kind of like uh something i would want to do but never can get people to do at parties it's like it's annoying but also, I'm here It's annoying, for it. but it could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Right time, right place. So she has people. She's like, okay, you think you can do better? And so she has everyone do portraits of her at the party. And they were like, they're all in their fancy clothes, covered in paint. Right. And I was like, I don't Giggling. Care. They were giggling. <laughs> it actually, like one of my friends had a, a Zoom wedding. She was supposed to get married in Ecuador. Hi, Marcella, if you're listening. And at their Zoom wedding, they had us in like small groups and we were like drawing a picture to represent how she and Ben met. I thought it was pretty cute. And then at one point, someone didn't realize they were not on mute and someone walked up behind them and they're like, I'm at this really awkward Zoom wedding. And like we all heard and like they were like on the screen prominently, you know, like when it's like full screen when you're talking and then it was so awkward. That's so funny to me. But it's like if people, it's like because you're always going to have those like womp womp people who are like, I'm at a Zoom wedding. It's so. I mean, I wouldn't go to a Zoom wedding because I am painfully awkward on those Zoom things. That's totally fair. Anyway, But the times were, it was necessary. It was necessary. Yeah. Anyways, so she's hanging out, um, going back and forth from Paris to uh, Egypt. Egypt. She's hanging out hard with Roland. They go on a trip to see all the arts of Greece. Where is it? Like, I'm trying to remember all this. Like, Yeah, they go to Greece. They go to Greece and they like really are enthralled by and they are learning. It's not just, you know, them staying at a nice hotel, which I think a lot of people do on vacation. Like that's the reason I like traveling is to learn. I don't want to go to travel just to be on the beach the mm-hmm. whole time. Yeah, like, that's how I feel. It's like there's so much to learn. Why not like tap into that? Anyway, so she went to Greece to like take pictures and um, understand like Greek life, I guess. And Roland and Prim... Primrose, uh, Roland Primrose and her are just falling. Who's Primrose? Is that not his last name? Oh, Penrose. Penrose. Um, sorry. Penrose and her were like falling deeper and deeper in love. And again, she's married to Aziz. He's like, I'm cool with it, I guess. I don't know if she's talking about if... I think people know that like that if you're spending months away from each other that people are having but other people. People don't want to admit that kind of shit. So I don't know. I don't know what the conversation was. I don't know if she was like a great communicator. Well, a lot of times it sounds like it's very much in the open. But yeah, you never know what the like... I'm sure there are times, obviously like Man Ray was really jealous or like there's a time later when like I think Roland hooks up with someone when she's pregnant 
Oh, like afterwards, because yeah. she lo- loses her sex drive, which we can talk about later. But, um, or she just stopped caring about sex. If we're gonna be honest, anyways. Uh, yeah, like people are constantly hooking up with each other. Everybody is open all the time, and I guess Aziz is knowing that because his first wife was also like kind of a, a hoe too, and had a lot of lovers as well. So he's like, I'm kind of used to it at this point. Yeah, well, and he was hooking up with Lee when he was married. So yeah, so I'm just very like. Was it the culture? Was monogamy a ridiculous concept anyway? I think it's like art people. They're always going to be the the sluttiest. You're right. You're right. And they're also usually, okay, so something in high school that I realized, I was like, I'm from the South, you guys. So there was a lot of Christianity and saving yourself for marriage. That was just a rhetoric that was normal. And the media, even at that time, because Britney Spears, like, why do we know everybody, like the Disney kids, sexual like dude part of marketing yourself was being like i'm a virgin yeah britney spears did that you're right beyonce did that did beyonce do that yes yeah. it was like a whole thing like why are, anyways so that was part of the culture that i was part of was this puritan culture but i realized the sluts which there were a group of sluts uh were always the nicer ones and more fun to hang out with there's something that i acknowledged i just want to say it's like less of a good time when you're judgy and horny and can't get off like for sure so I'm glad these are like horny. They're getting off, having a good time. I also want to mention that like Lee being in Egypt as a white woman, she's living a very different life than Egyptian women there. Like they're not allowed in a lot of establishments that men go to. And and so oh, yeah. like it's like people are, are jealous. They see Lee flitting around town and getting to like participate in society in a way that like women there couldn't. Anyway... She wants to have her cake and eat it too. She says in like a quote to like a letter to someone at some point, she's traveling, her and Roland are writing letters. And yeah, so her and Roland move to London. World War II gets, breaks out. She gets a letter from the US embassy being like, come home, babe, it's a war. And she tears up the letter and decides to stay in London with Roland. Because honestly, it kind of pissed me off. I was like, oh, the excitement of war. For sure. For sure. But whatever. Um, yeah, so that's where we're going to stop. And we'll have a part two. We're going to try to keep these series of people that we do to a two series, like one and two. Um, tell us what you think. Yeah. Like, email us. Um, anyways, I love you guys and I love you. I Hope. love you. Bye.